Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to God's house. We saw that uh, earlier in the opening video. We're in God's house. We are God's people. And do we believe it this morning? Do we believe we are God's people? Because as God's people, there are certain things we ought to be able to just say absolutely yes to when we're questioned and the uh, culture comes at us. Did God create? Did God create the universe? Did he create the sun and the earth and the moon and the stars and the galaxy and then all the other galaxies? Did he create all the living things, all the inanimate things, all the living things, the creatures that live and breathe? Did he create us, man and woman? People, people question us. They question our Christianity. Is God in control of everything? We heard at the open this morning about Job. Well, was God in control when he lost everything? These are questions that come from the culture. Are you more than a physical being? Do you have a, do you have a soul? Do you have a spirit? Is there, is there more to us than what we just see and can feel and can touch? Does God exist as Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Is Jesus 100% divine, yet also 100% human? Will our soul and our spirit exist after this temporary body goes back to dust? What about the resurrection? Will there be a resurrection? Are you going to be resurrected? If somebody asks you that, are you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are questions that are at the very foundations of our Christian faith. And I could go on and on. But to each one of these, can you just say yes? Yes, with absolute confidence, absolute assurance, no wavering whatsoever, no equivocation. Or, you know, gee, the, the culture pushes these things like evolution. So, you know, what about the dinosaurs and such? So, well, you know, maybe, maybe God, maybe he did. I, it might be. I guess so. Yet the culture wants to push the doubt. And these questions, we might not just say absolutely yes to. And then what about more fundamental? Just really the, to the to the real core of our faith. We heard a word this morning. God is with us. Emmanuel, where are you on that? Is he with you, in you? Can you say, I am his. I belong to Jesus Christ period, end of story, absolutely, yes, without any doubt, without any, any wavering whatsoever. Oh, I don't know. Well, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I was born again. I believe I'm going to heaven. But can you say I belong to Jesus Christ right now, in the here, in the now? And today, this morning, and I think it was just Confirmed by the Holy Spirit with this word. Is, is Emmanuel with you? 
My aim today is to dispel any, any uncertainty at all. If there's any uncertainty in your heart, I want to foster and inspire in you absolute conviction that you can say, yes, I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong, and you can say that every single time without any hesitancy. And I want to begin with a little example, just a a little anecdote. Last week, as I was leaving the church and saying hello to people and offering Happy New Year to those whom I passed, I came upon a person, looked them directly in the eye. I didn't say hello, Happy New Year, anything. This is what I said. This could be the year. And without missing a beat, looking directly at me, keeping his eyes focused, he said, this is the year. Now, I presented a possibility. Could be, might be, a hope, a potential. I was keeping a positive outlook. This could be the year. But the one to whom I was speaking replied with an absolute conviction, confidence, as if it was absolutely guaranteed. I said, could be. The answer I got was, "Uh uh-uh. It is. It is the year. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world were we talking about? I didn't bring up anything. I didn't verbalize the topic. But I knew. I knew in the five words that I said this could be the year, person to whom I was talking understood exactly what I was talking about. And that's why the answer was without hesitation. This is the year. Because the topic was the Detroit Lions. And there is this confidence, an absolute confidence. This is the year. And I thought we should be that way about our faith. Now, I know the person I was talking to has that same assurance in in faith in Christ. What about all of us? When When we're asked these types of questions, and especially when it boils down to just the real fundamentals, do you belong to Jesus Christ? Is God yours? Emmanuel, God with you. Is God with you? Is he in you? Yes. Do you have that confidence? No, it's not a could be. It's an is. Yes, it is. When it comes to our faith, all of us should be able to answer like that. And again, my aim is to instill that in you today. And of course, I'm going to use the word of God. And you might be guessing, well, I'll be going to the New Testament because the question, are you Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? Well, it'll be in there. And it will be. Because the Gospels give the account of Jesus and the letters that are in the New Testament, they reinforce the teachings of Jesus and all that he was about. But this morning, I want to point to the Old Testament. I want to open the Old Testament because the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus. Never forget that. Never forget that. The Old Testament writings and prophecies all have as their focus and fulfillment Jesus, Jesus and his body, which is us, the church. This is where all these writings and prophecies of the Old Testament are going. 
And there are relationships in the, in the Old Testament that serve as metaphors and images for us that are examples of what our relationship is to be with Christ. And some of those relationships are parent and child. Some of them are siblings, brothers, sisters. They serve as examples of how we should be in relation to Jesus. And another is marriage. Marriage is a, an oft-used example throughout the Old Testament, the bond of husband and wife. It's used throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, in one book of the Old Testament, and it's a book we don't really go to that often, but we'll be there this morning, there is a portrayal of courtship and marriage that presents this grand image of our relationship, what our relationship is to be to God, to Jesus. And that book is called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. And both titles come right from the very first verse of that book. The very first book of, or the very first verse, chapter one, verse one, it says, Solomon's Song of Songs. So we're gonna go to the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon this morning. And it's a love poem. It's a love poem that has much imagery that depicts two individuals that are deeply in love. And they advance from courtship to marriage. Love's the central theme of this book. But the image that's under it is this bond, this bond, a, a holy bond of marriage. And it's, it's key to this love theme. Interpreters have wrestled with the content of this book throughout the course of history. Is it an allegory that uh, is coming from the, the the perspective of God and Israel, is that what it's painting? Is it between Christ and the church? Is it between Christ and an individual? And all three are really applicable. And, and I don't want to dive into interpretive methods. I'll just say I use this basic interpretive method in the Old Testament. And that's this, that the Old Testament finds its perfect absolute perfect fulfillment in the person of Jesus and in us, his church. Again, I said it, that's where the Old Testament's going. So when we read the Old Testament, let's see Jesus. Today in this book of Song of Solomons, let's see Jesus. See Jesus and let's see us and our relationship with this underlying marriage metaphor depicting his love for us and our love for him. That, that's what I want us to see. And let's take away from this, this love poem the confident assurance, a guarantee of our bond with Christ and his bond with us. Now, just a very, very brief background on this book. Song of Solomon, it's written primarily from two perspectives. Now, there's other perspectives in there, but primarily two perspectives and that is of a, a, a man, the groom, a woman, the bride. And Solomon's name is mentioned uh, several times. So it seems he's the groom. He's a royal, a king. And that groom, that king is an image of Jesus. It's an image of Jesus. And then there's the portrayal or the viewpoint of the bride. And that's an image that we can take as the church, 
The bride could picture the church universal, the church collectively, or a believer individually could picture just one of us, each of us. And both images, the church as a whole, an individual, they're both equally applicable. Both images are used in the New Testament. And just a couple examples in the New Testament Closing book, the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and chapter 21. Jesus is given as the image of a a groom, and the church is his bride. And there's a grand wedding that's depicted there in Revelation. Yet in Matthew 25, Jesus gave a parable. He gave a parable of ten virgins or ten brides that were waiting for the groom. And five were wise, and they prepared for the groom. Five were foolish, and they did not prepare. The wise brides were welcomed by the groom, and they entered the wedding, which is an image of heaven. The foolish ones were left out. It says they were left out in darkness. The groom is an image of Christ in that parable. And the brides are an image of us, individuals. We, we, every single one of us, we must believe in Christ and prepare for that heavenly union that's pictured there as a wedding. Or we're an unbeliever. We're the foolish and we're left out in the darkness. It's one or the other for us as individuals to be wise or to be foolish. And so as we look at the Song of Solomon this morning, I want us to see the viewpoint of the bride as an individual, as a a believer, as we read some of these verses. The perspective of the bride speaking of the groom Again, an image of Jesus. And, and let's see that bride again as each of us, individual believers in Jesus. So Song of Solomon, we're going to be in chapter 2 with a verse, chapter 6 and chapter 7. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. Again, this is the bride's perspective. And the bride says, My beloved is mine and I am his. This is speaking of the groom. Speaking of the groom as beloved. This is the one that the bride dearly loves. So the bride makes this claim from the opening of the sentence, my beloved. That's that's an ownership. And then repeats the claim, is mine. There's no could be or possibly is mine. And then there's this reiteration I am his. I belong to him. No equivocation, no vacillation. It's it's not, well, it might be. No, he is mine. Now, if you've ever been around little children, you will know that an early word in the vocabulary is what? Mine, mine. Put two kids in the same room, give one an object. The other's going to just be drawn to it. And that first one's going to hold on to it. It's mine. It's mine. And they can take hold of something instantly. It doesn't matter what it is. It's mine. They take ownership. They make the claim. And it's not exclusive to little children, though. That mine mentality keeps going to us as adults. We do it all the time. 
That money is mine. The house is mine. The car is mine. We claim things. We assert our ownership of all kinds of things all the time. Things in this world. But you know, it's only stuff. It's only stuff that we claim ownership to. And it's a great reminder we get from Paul the Apostle in the New Testament in his letter to Timothy. He wrote, we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we will take nothing out of it. All the stuff, all the stuff that we latch onto and we claim as mine, we're not taking it with us. What about Christ? Jesus. Jesus the groom. Can we say as easily as we do about stuff? Can we say as easily as we do about money or cars or whatever, the house? Can we say he is mine? And can we proceed it with an expression of love? My beloved, he is mine. I dearly love him. He is mine. I am his. If you believe he loved you so much that he gave his life for you. And you say you love him. You can say it. You can claim it. He is mine. And you can take that with you. You can take it with you. Because he's going to be yours in eternity. You can't take all the stuff but Jesus. Now, if somehow we're unconvinced, hesitant, to make such an audacious claim that the creator of the universe is mine. If we're hesitant to say that, let's look Song of Solomon chapter six. It's the bride again. Chapter six, verse three. Bride's words. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. If there's any question, if there's any doubt, if there's any uncertainty, here's the bride again making the claim. It's the claim on the groom. But this time it's reversed. It's reversed. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Being confident in our faith, being certain of it, it infers an assurance with respect to that relation that we have with Jesus Christ. I am his, he is mine, my beloved is mine, I am his. The bride states it one way, then another, backward and forward. He's mine, I'm his. You know, the devil wants to shake that claim. We heard about Job again at the, at the open. The devil was trying to shake that claim that he had. The devil wants to lay hold of us. He wants to lay hold of you. But I'll tell you what, Jesus wants you more. Jesus wants you more. And, and there's an example of that too. Song of Solomon 7, verse number 10. And here the bride says, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. You, know, you can be certain that you belong to Jesus and that he desires you. He wants you. But this desire is more than just the sense 
of want. It's way more than that. Sure, Jesus wants us, but he has desires for our life. He has desires for our life right here, right now, today, in this world. Jesus has desires for our life. What are those desires? How do we know? What are they? To know the desire that Jesus has for you and for your life, you need only search his word. Dive into this word to find what Jesus desires of you. The Lord's desire is revealed in, in the pages of Scripture from the opening chapters to the final word. The desire of Christ for your life, it's here. And when you know it, when you know his desire, and when you live to fulfill his desire for your life, you begin to live out a part of heaven on earth. You're living his kingdom on earth right now. Primary for our Lord's desire, primary, his primary desire for us, first and foremost, it's, it's the theme of the Song of Solomon. It is love. It's love, true love. The words of Jesus, which are, they're given in Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're given in the, those three Gospels. The account of Jesus being asked about which, which is the greatest command. and He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And in John's gospel, the one gospel that didn't record this account, it gives the account of Jesus the last day before he was crucified at the, the Last Supper, Jesus saying, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Jesus said, as I have loved you. He loved us. He loves us. And he desires our love. Love for him, love for others. This is what he taught Scripture is full of practical application of how we go about that, how we live that, how we see love in action. It's throughout Scripture. One example, Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus. The third chapter closes with Paul saying, hey, you're rooted and you're established in love. As Christians, that's who you are. You're rooted and you're established in love. And he, he said, I pray, I pray that you grasp this, grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And then he moves into the fourth chapter. The third chapter closes this way. He moves in the fourth chapter. It's all about how you do that. And I'll just give you some highlights I encourage you, just write it down. Read Ephesians chapter 4, 3 and 4 today. Paul says in that chapter, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. In love, this is how you love. Make every effort to keep the unity, 
the bond of the Spirit and peace. And then he said, as you're blown about, as you're blown about by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people who are deceitful and scheming, speak the truth in love. Again, you might be having one of those Job-esque experiences. Not too fun. You might feel the world around you scheming, conniving. You might be dealing with cunning people who are trying to cut you off at the knees. Speak the truth in love. Put off your old self, he said. Put off falsehood. Put off speaking falsely. Instead, speak truthfully. In your anger, don't sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. Get rid of bitterness and fighting and anger and slander. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Just as Christ forgave you. Why? Because he loves you. Now, these are the desires. These are the desires of Jesus for us. And they're rooted in love. So love, love like the image that's presented in the Song of Solomon. Love is the theme of that book. Presents this image, pure, holy marriage. Where love, it's the foundation. And then that love's born out. The love is born out in selfless and unwavering trust and commitment and fidelity and loyalty. That's what that bond is all about. Never in a moment, never, uh, never a moment in that relationship, in that pure, holy bond of marriage, never is there a time where one spouse cannot say of the other, I am yours, you are mine. And that's the love of Christ. Whatever the circumstance, whether you're dealing with the Job situations or something different, whatever the circumstance, Jesus Christ will always be faithful. His love will never, ever fail. It'll never fail. Even when the, the assailing of the enemy comes, Jesus proved his power over the enemy. The devil couldn't tempt Jesus to sin. Tried to tempt him to sin, but he couldn't do it. Death couldn't hold him down. No, he resurrected and he proved his power over death. And he, he is the head over every single authority and power. And yet that same enemy, that same enemy of Christ seeks to shake our love for Christ. The enemy seeks to destroy us and break that relationship, break our bond of love with our beloved yeah, the flaming arrows of the enemy, they're going to fly. The wicked one's going to tempt. The wicked one tempts, he's going to keep tempting. Tempting. The devil's shaped a culture. The devil has shaped a culture that's cunning and deceitful and wants to, to make us doubt about our Christian faith. They tell us there is no God. You know, that's a myth. Oh, that Jesus story is a myth. Why do you believe it? You're weak-minded. And they scoff at you. When you're in trouble, where is your God? And when the enemies of Christ shout, where is your God? 
or when the devil would come and whisper in your ear, I gotcha, I have you. Where is your God? Don't curl up and wilt away. No, no, you say, my Savior is right here. My Savior is right now. And you do not have me. No, you don't. You can shout it, you can say it, and you can pray it. Christ is mine. I am his. He is mine. You know, enemy, you got nothing on me. No, you don't hold me because I'm held by someone else who's more powerful than you. And he showed his power over you. And his desire is for me. He wants me and he desires me. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They listen to me. I gave them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He has you. Emmanuel, God with us. Is he with you? Is he in you today? And can you say it? Because it's a guarantee you can. He is mine and I am his. Let's, let's pray and, as we leave with that confidence and that assurance. And I want to just say, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have that bond of assurance. You can't say, he's mine. I am his. Yield your life to him today. He said he's here to give us eternal life. That's why he came. And you might think, oh, it's a could be. Maybe it's a might. Uh, this thing called eternal life or life after death. No, nah, I think I just go nowhere. No, you go somewhere. Be wise this morning. Be wise. So that you can enter in to that great feast in eternal life. Not be left out in darkness. For, for those of you who've called Jesus Christ your Savior, whether it's a day or for all your life, you can count on him. You can say with assurance, he's mine, I am his, and never, ever doubt it. Let's stand and pray and be confident as we leave this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. I am yours. You are mine. Lord, let that burn in us. Emmanuel, you're with us. You're in us. You are ours. God, you're the creator of the world, and yet we can say, you're mine. It's an amazing thing. Lord, help us to latch onto it and take hold of it and never forget it, especially when trouble comes our way, when the arrows fly, when the oceans rise. Lord, I am yours and you are mine. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just prayed, press that assurance into each heart that's in here this morning. Press it in, Lord, if there's any who've doubted. God, if there's any that are suffering today, if they're going through those Job-like situations and they're wondering, where is my God? Lord, be there for them in a tangible way. May they be able to shout, declare, say, pray, I am yours, you are mine, and have no doubt about it. God, I pray 
I pray that, Lord, for every single one. Lord, if there's someone in my, within my listening voice who's never called on you as Lord and Savior, they doubt eternal life. They don't realize Jesus died for their sin. Oh, God, I pray that would turn today. I pray, Lord, I pray those hearts would turn to receive Christ and his, his sacrifice and turn to him to live for him. As, as your word says, he has desires for us. He wants everyone. He suffers none to be lost. God, thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, for any and all that might be turning. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the examples we find in it. Thank you for this image of this bond that we have with you. We appreciate it, God. And may we leave with that confidence, knowing we can say, I am my beloved's, he is mine. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bless your people with it now in the name, the precious name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, amen.